Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Last week, we started going through Genesis 1 to 3, and the idea was, when we're talking about deception, how do we learn to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong, lies over truth, or truth over lies, and and the best way was, just like with the counterfeit money, is to study the truth. When we study the truth, it becomes easier for us to be able to distinguish a lie or a deception or, you know, those slight deviances much easier. So if we, if we look at lies always and study every single lie that's out there, we could be sitting here for an infinite amount of time just trying to look at every nuance of, of lie because the enemy just makes up something new. And so we, we have God's word, we have truth here, and so that's what we started doing last week. We just went to the first three chapters and started looking at some of the truth that's, all, that's found in God's word. Some of the truth. And we pulled out 24 foundational truths, and that's a non-exhaustive list. You could have done more because I skipped over a bunch of verses. So some of you I know will have gone and read that in your devotional times, and that's awesome. But just to cover a couple of things in there... I'm only going to cover a few, because there was 24. There, these are nine, and God is sovereign. He is eternal. He is creator. We are. I am created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. I am valuable to God, made in his image. This is why things like abortion or suicide are made are wrong. Murder. This is why. We're made in his image. We are intrinsically valuable. All human life is. Whether you are redeemed or unredeemed, saved or unsaved. We're created male and female. God's creation was good. God gave people the ability to choose him or to reject him. And lastly, God wants people to love him of their own free will. That's his desire. He is good, and he wants us to love him of our own free will. All right, so we're going to start with the fall, and this is really where we ended off last week. Um, pretty sure 9 o'clock, I got a little bit further than the 11 o'clock, so some of this might be more of a review for you than, than the 11 o'clock, but that's okay. We'll just kind of go through it. So uh, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden lest you die. And there we have the enemy challenging the word of God by saying, did God actually say? And when he went on to deceive her and, and she gave into it, he didn't actually fully lie. He didn't make something up completely out of, out of thin air. He took what God had said and he twisted it. He warped it ever so slightly and that's how he hooked Eve and Adam into sin, right? So Genesis 3, 1 to 24, you know, we see Adam and Eve warned by God. They're tempted by the devil. They disobey God, and immediately shame and guilt are seen in creation. Immediately shame and guilt are seen in creation. And with that, you see separation from God, because God comes walking, strolling through the garden, looking for them, and they're hiding from God. We already see the separation in relationships, so we see broken relationships, we see shame, we see fear immediately, and then when God begins to talk to Adam, we see he also immediately passes the buck onto his wife and said, she made me do it. Um, and we're, I think we're still doing those same things today plus more, aren't we? We're still saying, someone else made me do it. I'm a victim of my circumstances. I am this way, I treated you that way because you did this to me. <clears throat> it's a very common human response uh, for all of us. So we started in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, 24 foundational truths, and now, now we talked about in the fall, we're looking at what went wrong. So this is what went wrong in those first three chapters. Adam and Eve sinned. You had sin, the fall. You had the curse that came in, and they were kicked out of the garden, which was part of God's goodness. They were kicked out of God, uh, the garden to limit them from accessing the tree of life so that they would live forever in their broken state. God wanted to redeem them so they wouldn't live forever in their broken state. So what is this? How has this all impacted us? Well, it's important to remember when God created things, he said everything was what? Do you remember what I said before? What the scripture said? He created it and said it was? Good. Exactly. It was good. Now it was no longer good or not entirely good. It wasn't all, now all the goodness wasn't removed, but it wasn't entirely good anymore. And that's important for us to understand. God's good plan will look much more like heaven will in the future. But it included innocence. In fact, some scholars call the age before the fall the age of innocence. I don't know if you know what that's like. There's certain, when we sing hymns, hymns always bring me back to my childhood. 
And you know what I love about being triggered in a memory that goes back to my childhood? Innocence. It's before I really, really consciously rebelled against God and walked away from him and experienced loads of pain. And when we sing hymns, it always transports me back there. And so I love them, right? We love those things, that, that feeling of innocence. God wanted us to have that perfectly for our entire existence. Things like joy and peace, intimacy, relationships. He wanted us to have a perfect unity and relationship with him. He wanted us to have good relationships and with each other. Remember, he saw Adam, and even though Adam already had a perfect relationship with God and he had purpose in life, he said, oh, it's not good that he's alone. And he makes Adam a helper. Remember? That's how he made Eve. And we see God cared about relationships, cared about their relational state, their emotional state. But then sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, things changed because it didn't just change in one part. It's like a virus. If you think of it like a virus that enters into a computer and then suddenly gets corrupted, that's why you don't ever open weird links from people on Facebook, by the way, if you're ever wondering, because I know that happens. You're always seeing, my, my account got hacked. Don't press the links. Anyways, <clears throat> that's another story. And then suddenly things are posting weird from your site and your computer is not working properly. Anyways, sin was like that in a sense. So sin came into the world, death came into the world, but all sorts of brokenness came in. So it was brokenness that came in, evil came in, sin came in. Addiction, lying, theft, pride, murder, suicide, abortion. We see, look, uh, how about natural disasters, anxiety, depression, broken hearts, broken marriages, things like cancer. Weren't part of God's design. And if we would look at this personally, we would have to understand that sin also corrupted each one of us. And we're going to get on to why that's important. But sin also corrupted us. We're all corrupted. And I know the temptation is, well, we were made that way. Then we, well, why are we being held accountable? But we also all sin too, don't we? So why did God give us a choice? And this we did look at a bit last week, but I just, it's important that we go back to this. Why would he do that? If that's the result, why would he ever give us choice? You know, I've, I've, I've said this before probably to many people, and I've heard others say it to me, and that is, don't you sometimes just, have you ever prayed to God and just said, Lord, I'll give you my free will. I'll give it back to you. You gave it to me, thanks. That was awesome. Tried it out, experimented, didn't turn out so well. How about you take it back, the whole Jesus take the wheel song? Let's live that. I'll be in the passenger seat and I'll just watch whatever you do and I'll say, yeah, I'm in. Have you ever felt that way? I felt that way. God wanted to give us choice. It was important. We had to, we had to be able to choose to love him, but to choose to love him, we, we needed a legitimate choice to also reject him. You might say, well, why would anyone reject him? Well, that's a good question, but people do. And also, he's Lord. It also demonstrates his lordship over them. He told them what they had to do, and he told them what they should not do. And he is Lord, and that's important in our relationship with him because he wanted perfect, perfect unity with us. Yes, absolutely, he wants perfect unity with us. Um, and he wanted us to choose to love him, yes. But unlike, you know, in a marriage where we submit to each other, he is Lord. He is Lord, the way we relate to him. So he's kind and generous. He's also holy and righteous and a judge. And he is our king. And he has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do. Norm Geisler writes, forced love is a contradiction in terms. We need to have choice. Forced love is a contradiction of terms. Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote, merely to override human will would be for him useless because he, he cannot ravish, he can only woo. Romans 2.4, as soon as I read that, doesn't that make you think of, uh, if you know Romans 2.4, um, right, where it talks about his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. His kindness, he woos us to repent because he doesn't want us suffering the results and consequences of our sin. So today we're going to build on this and we're going to talk about our own sinfulness. So one of the cultural, like why does this matter? Well, it matters again because there's a cultural lie that I'm trying, or misconception, however you want to say it, if that sounds too harsh to say lie, then we can go with misconception. But any, however you look at it, there is cultural lies that we're combating here and some of them are even church lies. And so it's critical that we understand what does the Bible actually teach about who we are and our nature and why we need redemption in the first place. 
a lot hangs on the balance of us getting that right. Because the culture will tell you this, you are good the way you are. Have you, have you heard that? You're good the way you are. You don't have to change for anybody. Trust your heart. Follow your feelings. You have those desires because you're made to fulfill them. I always wonder about that, like even with sexual attraction. So if you're married and you have a desire to sleep with someone outside of your marriage, should you fulfill that desire or should those be repressed? Anyways, now I would ask if these statements are true, and we should, if we are actually made good the way we are, and our heart can be trusted to follow, and our desires are good, inherently good, why then when we look at human history and the world today, not just, don't just look in the past, because we think we're more civilized today, why is it when I open my news apps, it is filled with stories of brokenness, murder, theft, war, tragedy, and disaster. If what the culture is saying is truth, if it is true, then why is it leading us away from life and towards death? But maybe we think, well, other, peop other people shouldn't follow their hearts. Maybe, it's, maybe the rule only applies to us. Is that how it goes? You ever feel like that? Like, you ever said that in your marriage, or if you're married, or maybe it's a relationship? Well, if you just wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that, <laughs> right? If you hadn't have said this to me, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said that to you in the first place. <laughs> I love that. I have totally done that to my wife and had to apologize for it afterwards. Because I'm always responsible for me. Yeah, human nature says, all of us would say, if you would just all treat me the way that I want and do whatever I want, then I would be a good person. You can see the desire in us to be like God. It's still there. Right from, right from Genesis 3 and on. We still want to be God. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. You know, do you like, in Canada, do you like every law that's passed? I don't. I don't like all the policies that are being made. You might say, well, I do like the policies. Maybe you don't like the, the policies that people are trying to make on the other side. I don't know. We're all on a side, aren't we? So who, which side do we want to follow their heart and their desires? Do we want to be consistent and say we want everyone to follow those desires? It's interesting how that works, isn't it? Sometimes these cultural lies, if you actually just take them a little bit further than just your own heart, you'll realize very quickly that they fall completely flat and they'll lead you to utter ruin. So, C.S. Lewis, oh, I already went on that one. I'm forward in here. here nope. There we go. The result of Adam's sin. Let's look at that. This is why this is important. We were born sinners. And we are all sinners. We have a sin nature that we have inherited. True. Adam and Eve could not create beings greater than themselves. They sinned and were corrupted. And they passed that on to us. Yes. And you might say, that's not fair. You know what else isn't fair? that Jesus had to die for us in order to be saved. That also isn't fair. It goes both ways. But let's go back to this. We inherited a sinful nature, but the truth is we are all sinners anyways. We all sin. Now, some of you, this may seem like old news, the idea of us being born sinners, but it's being challenged not only in the world, but also in the church. Because there's an idea out there that we are inherently good. We go back to Genesis, and it even says it in one verse, before the fall. Because God created everything and then said it was what? Good. So you take that one verse and you say, well, then we're good. And Jesus died for absolutely nothing, didn't he? Cultural misconceptions. If you're born this way, you're meant to be this way. You are good on the inside. Trust your feelings. Follow your desires and attractions. That's what the culture teaches. This is built on a faulty answer to the question of who am I? It assumes that we're all inherently good. I am good. My desires are good. My intentions are good. My heart is true and good. 
Scripture teaches the uh, opposite, and not only Scripture teaches the opposite, again, look at the news. Look outside yourself for a moment. Don't look on, you know, to a, to a, a show on TV that paints a perfect picture of something. But just look at the brokenness in our own community and then go beyond that into communities around us and into Canada and to the world. Look at the war in Ukraine. And you'll see very quickly, we, we haven't evolved to be some, some type of superior moral being on our own. Church misconceptions. Genesis says you're born good. You, must, you just make bad choices. You're simply broken. Now, I know there is brokenness. We are broken. It is true. There is brokenness. But it's not just brokenness. Like, when I sin, I didn't make a mistake. Like, a mistake is, read my notes, and you'll find spelling mistakes, especially puncture or uh, punctuation. I'm not very good at punctuation. So, you'll see punctuation mistakes. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. If I lash out at somebody, that's sin. If I would look at pornography, that would be sin. That is not a mistake. Do you see the difference? There's mistakes, then there's sin. Very important that we understand that, that we see this right. And I'm not trying to heap anything on anyone. I just want us to look at right. If we don't start on a foundation of truth, then like, you know, a thousand thoughts later, we are so far from truth, we don't even recognize it anymore. So it's important to always challenge what we believe and why and bring it back to what does the Bible say. This is the only plumb line of truth that we have. We have to start here. Okay, so what is the truth? We were born in the Imago Dei, the image of God, but we're corrupted by sin and are born sinners ourselves. We're not simply victims. I'm not saying you're not a victim. We're not simply victims. We are also perpetrators. We're both. We're not just a victim to your brokenness, to your sin nature, you are also a perpetrator, and so am I. That's what Scripture teaches. Despite this, though, we're loved by God, and he made a way for us to be saved from the sin. Psalms 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, here we go, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were children, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, born into it, children of wrath. Not inherently good. Now, am I saying that people can't do goodness? Oh, yeah, point <laughs> philanthropy, uh, philanthropy, right? Of course, people can be good, generous, kind, open the door for a stranger. You don't have to have Jesus in your heart to do that. In fact, Jesus even said, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even tax collectors can do that. Sinners can do that. He acknowledged the fact, like, we're created in his image, of course, as image bearers while we're on this side of, of eternity, all of us have that capacity for good. But we are no longer inherently good. We are inherently children of wrath born into sin. Romans 5 verse 12, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We're born into it, and we are all perpetrators. We're victims and perpetrators both. Capable of doing good, Yes, but sinful nonetheless. I mean, you heard stories of, maybe you haven't, but with, in Nazi Germany, prison guards that did horrific things during the day would come home and sit with their families and love their kids and spouse. And you'd say, that doesn't make any sense. That capacity is in all of us. Both ways. And God in his mercy has not put an end to it yet because he loves us. But God in his mercy will not allow us to stay like this forever if we want to be with him. 
he will root out evil once and for all. Romans 3, 10 to 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now this is critical to our understanding, it is. When you think that people are inherently good, that you are inherently good. Then you will look inside yourself for the answer to evil. And that will lead you to ruin. That's why truth matters. You're like, this is discouraging. This is discouraging. You're saying I'm not good the way I am. I like the culture message. Follow your heart. Do you. You're good the way you are. Do you really like that message though? Does that actually satisfy you inside? Or would you be rather told, like if, if you were on the edge of a cliff but you couldn't tell, like it was dark and someone else could see where you were and you were about to, to step off a cliff, would you rather someone tell you that or not tell you that? Would you like them to coax you on and say, you're good, you're safe, don't worry about it, keep going. We wouldn't call that love. We would say someone who saw a cliff and didn't warn people of danger, we would say they were a monster. This is what scripture says about inside of our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord can. He searches the heart and tests the mind to give to each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Let's look at one more to see, should we follow our hearts? Well, look at the kind of things that come out of our hearts. By the way, this is the Bible. You're like, well, I don't know if I buy all that stuff in the Bible. Okay, maybe you're smart enough to understand truth, but I think this lines up with what I see in the news. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Maybe you're like, well, I haven't done most of those. Scripture says if you have failed at one point of the law, you are guilty of transgressing the whole law. That's how sin works. Now, isn't this what we see in the world, though? People are constantly looking for others to blame, right? They think we're intrinsically good inside and everybody else just needs to do what we want, right? So we look outside. We look outside ourselves for the problem of evil and pain in the world. And then we look inside of ourselves for an answer. And I've heard this people even talking about Scripture. I don't know if I believe that. But you're a believer, yeah. Well, I don't know if I believe those passages. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, what God was doing there. Yeah, I don't know if I fully agree with that either. I'm still trying to search for, for what I think about that. Now, I know there's ambiguity in here sometimes. Like, there are certain things where you get one verse and you're like, nothing else to support it. You don't know where that's going, right? So I get it. There are verses like that. But there, when we're talking about who God is, his covenants, his plan, it is made plain to see. You either believe it or you reject it. We don't reinterpret it. Morality is plain to see. He has written it on our hearts. He has given us his word. We know it, and we will be accountable for how we respond to it. The problem of evil is inside each of us. We all sin. We cannot blame everybody else. It's in us. We are corrupted from the inside out. The answer to evil is outside of us. The answer is outside of us, and it's found in Christ alone. It's not going to be found in here. You will not find the answer to all your hurts in life and pain and struggles inside of you. It's not in you. Your heart is deceitful and sick. Who can understand it? Don't trust where it will lead you. And if you don't believe me, just look at your own life. See, I have the advantage. I don't know if you'd call it that. I would not do it again. I had 10 years that I didn't follow the Lord. I'm not going to go through my whole testimony. But in those 10 years, I saw full well what happens when Stefan Dirksen follows his own heart. Ruin. Ruin. And I didn't just ruin my life. I ruined lots of other lives. And it kills me sometimes to think about some of those that aren't following the Lord now. 
There's not goodness in here. Hmm. For example, you know when the Ukraine war started, it's almost a year now exactly. When it started, I remember reading an article with a, a woman in the Ukraine who had said she was just, she was beyond herself surprised that this could still happen in the 21st century. And I understand the sentiment. I mean, it was shocking to all of us, wasn't it? And some of the stories that have come out of there since have just been even more than shocking. Watching that whole thing unfold has been terrifying and awful and heartbreaking. But yet when you look at Scripture, what Scripture teaches about human nature, it actually isn't surprising. Why would it surprise us? Read the Bible. It already tells you from within the heart what comes. In Ordinary Man, Reserve, uh, it's, uh, the book was called Reserve, Police, Battalion, and Final Solution to Poland, uh, genocide researcher Christopher Browning writes this, I could have been the killer or the evader. Both were humans. Just read you a bunch of quotes now. Sociologist Harold Welzer wrote this, We are left then with the most discomforting of realities, ordinary, normal people committing acts of extraordinary evil. The reality is difficult to admit, to understand, to absorb. As we look at the perpetrators of genocide and mass killings, we need no longer ask who these people are. We know who they are. They are you and they are I. Elsie Wiesel, an Auschwitz, Auschwitz survivor, concluded this, deep down, man is not only executioner, not only victim, not only spectator, he is all three at once. Have you ever stood by while others did evil and not said anything? I have. Have you ever gotten revenge on someone because they hurt you? I have. I've done it to the ones I've said I love the most. Have you ever been hurt and betrayed? I have. We're all three at once. Atheist Michael Ruse said this, I think Christianity is spot on about original sin. How could one think otherwise when the world's most civilized and advanced people, the people of Beethoven, Gother, and Kant, embraced the slimeball Hitler and participated in the Holocaust? Now, you might say, I never committed a genocide. I've never murdered anybody. I'm glad that that's true. I'm very glad that that's not true. But that doesn't make us innocent. We're all guilty of sin. We've all been a perpetrator. Maybe we haven't taken it to that end. But like Adam and Eve in the garden, we look at God's law and we scoff to some degree or another. God says, don't eat of the tree. Because on the day you do it, your eyes are going to be open to something that I didn't make you for, a capacity you were not meant to have. And, and you will die as a result. They did it anyways. God says... Marriage between one man and one woman only. Lifelong covenant. That's where sex is going to be a gift. It's going to be a good gift. Not just for procreation, but also for intimacy and joy and pleasure and connection. It's going to be so wonderful, it's actually going to picture and imitate an image of heaven and the desire God has with us to be one with us. That's how good it is but keep it between one man and one woman in a covenant marriage. What do we say? We know better. My sin doesn't hurt anybody, does it? Look at the sex slave industry. What about the pornography industry that makes more money than the top three sports in the world combined? It's regardless of the fact that most of it's free. Look at all the gender confusion. Look at the broken homes. What about adultery? 
I'm not just going to pick on, well, that's, that's for people if they struggle with same-sex attraction. No, no, no. There's way more in here that talks about heterosexual sin. It's both sin. Anything outside of one man, one woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. We have broken people, broken homes, STDs. How much pain and suffering do we have to experience or do we have to cause others to experience? Before we wake up and say, your word is the word of life. It is the only way. There is no other way. But it's not just those. Lying, cheating, stealing, thoughts, lustful thoughts, self-centered living, rejoicing when others suffer. You're like, I would never rejoice when someone else suffers. Really? What if they deserve it? What if they deserve it? What if they're always picking on someone and then you see them get hurt and you're like, ha! Scripture says we're not to rejoice at wrongdoing. Hurt others, tear others down, hate, rage, angry outbursts, sexual immorality, greed, disobeying parents, aggravating our children. All of us sin. Now, when you consider the evil seen in our history, human history, but then some will say, yeah, but that's in human history. We've evolved, right? Okay. I mean, we could sit here for the next hour. Why don't we just pull out a news app and we'll just read the news. And we'll see how evolved we've become. When you look at the evil in the world, I think the question changes from how can a loving God allow evil to how can a loving God allow humans? We cause evil. We commit evil. Brazingly, blatantly, when he tells us not to, he gives us the boundary lines. He says, don't go over the cliff. You're going to get hurt. What do we do? Over the cliff. And then, as we're hurt, we shake our fist at God and say it's his fault. His fault. He's restrictive. He's prejudiced. He's a bigot. When the question changes inside of here, and it has to change for each one of us, from how can God allow evil? How can he allow evil in my life? How could he do that to me? To how could God allow me to exist with the evil that's already here, that I commit? When that question changes, then you will understand grace. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. But you will also understand the love of God in a way that you never thought possible. Because you'll weep before him. When you say, Lord, how do you love me still? How can you accept me the way I am? Then you understand 1 John 5, 3, when he says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Are you kidding? They are not burdensome. Following me is burdensome. But until you look in the mirror and recognize that you are also the problem, you won't ever feel that. Now we'll look at the consequence of sin. Sorry, give me a second. I'm going to get Kleenex. Forgive me. All right, carrying on. The consequence of sin, justice must be served. We don't like the consequences of sin. Or do we? We don't like the consequence of sin, but then we do like the consequence of sin. Okay, why don't, we t- why don't we look at that? Maybe we do. This past January, I don't know if you heard about the death of Tyre Nichols in the States. He was beaten to death, brutally, by five police officers. They had a video, and I regretted watching it the second I watched it. Because I could hear him cry out for his mom.
Anyhow, those officers, by the way, there's lots of good police officers. I know them, they're amazing. I am not for the uh, get rid of the police. I love the police. I love our men and women at that service. They do an honorable work. But just like everybody else, we're broken on the inside. We are sinners. And when we give into that, we are all capable of wickedness like that. But anyhow, back to the story. They were all fired and have been charged with murder. Is anyone in here feeling like that shouldn't have happened? Like, they shouldn't have been charged with murder. They shouldn't have been fired. Or when you read a story and watch it happen, and you watch five people beat to death another individual for no reason, and then you see them get punished for it, do you feel like they deserve that? They're getting justice is being served. I'm not trying to trap you here, but does it not feel like justice? You've, you hear they, they got fired, put on leave immediately, charged with murder, and a whole host of other charges, and you feel like, good. Justice demands there be a consequence. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? I mean, the alternative would be that we just let them go and do it again? No. How about you hear of a man that's abusing his wife and doesn't allow her to go out of the home and doesn't allow her to get help? Would you want someone to intervene? What if you heard of someone, I mean, you'd want the law to intervene, but what if it was kind of old school and you heard about the brothers of this wife found out about it and they took him behind the, the barn and gave him an adult spanking? Would you feel like, because you're like, whoa, that's maybe a little, would you feel like just desserts? He, he had to come in. I'm not trying to trap anyone. I'm just trying to play on, like, sometimes we look at God is going to judge us for sin and we're like, how dare he? What right does he have? And yet all of us feel the same need for justice and its requirements to be met. You ever had someone betray you or lie to you? Did you just let them get away with it or did you want them to pay? Did you withhold love? Did you end the friendship? Or did you just keep the friendship and, and keep treating them the exact same way and who cares, it's okay. You can lie to me. You can mistreat me. I don't care. I won't say anything. That's consequences, isn't it? See, all of us know inside that justice demands a consequence. It does. Romans 3, 23, though, says this. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standards. We've all broken the law. And justice demands that we pay for our wrongdoings. There is a demand. If we are consistent, you know, we're inconsistent. Justice for everyone. Isn't this how human beings are? Justice for everyone else. Like if anyone else breaks the law, justice. But if we break the law, grace. Why? Because we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. And that's why we fall into lies like we're inherently good despite the fact that if we do an inventory of our lives, we see that we do evil. All of us. Evil thoughts, evil heart, evil actions. Scripture says that Jesus is our judge. We will all stand before him because we have all sinned. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Revelations 20, I love Revelations 20. I was also reading Revelations 1 yesterday and just soaking that in, the very image of Jesus. Just brilliant. I'm just trying to imagine it and I can't. But here's John, the cool, if you think about John, the Apostle John, the only disciple that made it to, to the cross. He's the only one that was there. Like, loves Jesus. And he sees Jesus in his real glorious form and what does he do? Falls over like dead. And doesn't get up. And what is Jesus' response to him? Fear not. He puts his hand on him. He's gentle and kind. But terrifying. And righteous and holy. And pure. And he rules. And it says he has seven stars in his hands. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and flames in his eyes. And he's brilliant like a sun. And to those that call upon his name, he says, fear not. Get up, child. But look what it says. 
Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Wow. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. This is his court. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were all judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he too was thrown into the lake of fire. The penalty due us is hell. That is the penalty for sin. There is an eternal punishment for sins and crimes committed against an eternal God. And we are liable because what is known about God is plain to see. Just look outside. And he makes his law. He writes it on our hearts. He gives us his word. He tells us where every cliff is, where every sharp edge is. He's kind and generous, but he is also mighty and holy and righteous. And justice will be served. Hell is, eternal, is an eternal place created for everyone who rejects God. He had to make one. Because you have to choose God, you have to be able to also reject Him. Remember we go back to that? To reject Him, then you also needed to have a place where you could spend. Your eternity in your choice. In a place where there is an absence of God, in the sense of all of His goodness is no longer there. You see, even hell on earth is different because God's goodness is still here. That's why Paul says, why do you, like, what do you have then that you did not receive? Why do you boast then as though you did not receive it? Right? John, in, in John 3.27, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? Or sorry, he says, uh, a person cannot receive even one thing unless given him from heaven. What are we watching in our nation? Doesn't it seem like, uh, what's going on with people's minds? Like, the, some of the decisions that are, making, that, that are being made seem like they're missing a lot of logic even. They're not rational. They seem almost reactive. It doesn't make sense. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Well, as God removes himself, as we continue to reject him and push him out of our culture, we're actually seeing that everything good that we enjoyed was a part of who he is, was a gift from him to us. And the more we push him away, the more we see his goodness fleeting away. So try to imagine a place where everything good is gone. That's what hell is. And on the flip side, try to imagine a place where all the sin, pain, and brokenness, and death is gone. Where you can be with the one you love forever. That's heaven. But he gives you a choice. He gives you the dignity of choice. He will not force your hand. As Lewis says, he woos. And he does so with kindness. Douglas E. Potter writes, hell serves at least two purposes. First, hell separates the unredeemed in accordance with their decision from the God, from God and the, and the redeemed forever. Certainly God would not be considered loving if he forced unbelievers against their will into heaven. That wouldn't be loving to force someone, would it? No. Second, hell is a place of eternal punishment for those who have sinned against an eternal God. That is, pun the punishment fits the crime. Common lie. How could a loving God send people to hell? I've heard that. In the church and outside the church. God can't be loving. He sends people to hell. No. That's not, that's not the way things end. He doesn't send you to hell. You belong in hell. The wages of sin is death. We are not just victims. We are also perpetrators. Justice, justice demands a consequence for sin. You're like, that's harsh. That's hard. That's hard to accept. But God loves you so much that he sent his son that you could also choose to be forgiven and spend an eternity with him. Belonging. Remember, that's an important question of the top five. Where do I belong? It's important for us to understand that because of our sin, we actually, all of us, belong in hell. 
Now you might say that's not fair, but like I said before, it would be a good thing. If, I, if, I didn't t- if you were about to walk off a, a cliff and be killed, and I didn't say anything, I wouldn't be good, would I? God does the same. But then he invites you into the relationship that he designed you to be a part of. Those who choose to reject God must be given what they want, regardless of how tragic the consequences are. God desires all to be saved for none to perish, but he will give you the choice. Potter also writes, to not honor human freedom violates human dignity and would not be loving. C.S. Lewis wrote this, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. He also said in a different book, he said, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Now he's given us choice. All of us have sinned. There is a consequence for that sin. And you might say, but justice demands that consequence be satisfied. And you're right. So what's our answer? Let's look at the great rescue. First, Adam sinned, and death spread to all of us. We're all under condemnation. Why? Just because of his sin? Yes, and also because all sinned. We all sinned. We were children of wrath. For as in Adam all die, so also Christ, in Christ, all shall be made alive. And this is the good news. Through the first Adam, first Adam came, sinned, sin spread into the world, we all sinned, we all fell under the same condemnation. The second Adam, who is Christ, he came and lived a perfect life. He had done no wrong, and yet he suffered a criminal's end. He allowed himself to be crucified for you and for me. He paid the price for the consequences of our sins. So again, he could give us a choice. Just like we had in the beginning, again, we have a choice. Will you receive that gift that he offers you? That gift that he paid so dearly for, just so he could give it to you. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. People will try and have you believe. The enemy will try to tell you that God is harsh, He did not send his son to condemn you, but to save you. That's why I hate it when people say, why does God send people to hell? Like, no, you're actually choosing to go there. Your sins send you to hell. God is saving you from hell if you will let him. He will save you if you choose to accept it. Some charge that isn't fair. I don't like the idea of me suffering. I'm broken. I'm a victim of Adam's sin. But then let's be consistent. If we really want to stand before God and be judged based on our actions, then for those who believe, do you want to stand before God and be judged on your actions and suffer the consequences of your actions too? Or would you rather him see you clothed in the righteousness of his son, Jesus? Because that's what happens when you give your life to him. There's a transaction that takes place. Your life belongs in hell when you hold on to your rights. Because then your rights, when you lived your way, you were a child of wrath. You sinned. We all do it. If you give up your life and put on Christ, you get a new life. And he'll judge you based on his actions and his righteousness you get to be saved. That's what Romans teaches. Yes, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Romans, look at this. But the gift of God is not like the trespass, Adam's sin. For if many died by Adam's sin, of one man, right, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? So in the same way that Adam's sin has caused so much sin, destruction, pain, and evil on the earth, in that same way he says, how much more 
Will the work of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, save those who put their faith and trust in him? Incredible. I put a little emoji on there too because it's that good. I almost put a meow too, but I didn't want to take away from the... Oh, I said it anyways. Oh. Okay. Foundational truths, then I'll close this off for today. Because the next time I'm up here, I'm not up next weekend. Lauren is, because uh, I'm going away for, for a weekend with Lou. It's going to be awesome. Anyways, um, now you know. Pray for us. Building on a foundation of truth. If, if, this is important. Remember, the stuff last time was, was always true. So the, the 24 we talked about last week are always true. Like, they're always true. These ones actually have their caveat on there. There's an if. There's an if. If you choose to accept Jesus as only Savior and functional Lord. If you choose to do that, then you can say, I am a child of God. He adopted me into, my, into his family. You come from a broken family? This is where all families are welcome and they become massive and huge and they get, they're put together. It's wonderful. Okay? I am forgiven the consequences of my sin. I am saved from hell. I'm no longer, a, I'm no longer alone. God is with me always. He's with me. I belong to Jesus He's very possessive of his own. <laughs> he is very possessive, very protective. Will do anything to see that you spend an eternity with him. He'll fight for you. It says he intercedes for you. He weeps for you. He protects you. <laughs> you also belong to the church. You don't belong to yourself. You have a worldwide community of people. You have a whole body in here that you belong to too. You have access to God's presence whenever you want. You've act, the, I have the Holy Spirit in me, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I have been reborn. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'll end on this, 2 Peter 3, 9. You might say, why doesn't God stop evil today? This is why. He's not slow to fulfill his promise as some should count, but he's patient towards you and me, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, give us eyes to see who we really are when we belong to ourselves. Let us see, not what the culture tells us, Lord, but let us see through all the, all the junk. Lord, let us see. Search our hearts. And then as we turn to you, let us see who we are as we stand reflected in your glory. Let us see who we are in you.